Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches never changed anything. And today's It's My House is titled <clears throat> Queen of Soul versus Queen Elizabeth. Last stream number 619-768-2945. Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin versus Queen Elizabeth. What we're going to do is we're going to take a look at um, these two women. Not, not in detail, but I'm, I'm focusing in on the generational wealth aspect of these two uh, these two queens, so to speak. Um, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> then we're going to do some comparisons, and we're going to bring it home to what we can do, what we can do 
when it comes to on an individual basis, individual household basis, when it comes to generational wealth, also known as estate planning. Now, let's let's um to go back with Aretha Franklin, let's go to <clears throat> some of her basic primary education in the Detroit public school system. Let's play an audio clip um, about um, <clears throat> a certain snippet of the Detroit public school system. More than a dozen current and former Detroit public school principals face federal bribery charges this morning. They are accused of taking part in a nearly $1 million scheme involving kickbacks on school supplies that were rarely delivered. A vendor is also charged. Dean Reynolds is outside Spain Elementary Middle School in Detroit with how the alleged plot unraveled. Dean, good morning. Good morning. Investigators here uncovered a, an alleged scheme that ran for nearly a decade and cost the schools here nearly $3 million. In addition to the students, the U.S. prosecutor says the real victims here are the parents and the teachers who were trying to make a difference. There is an amazing school in Detroit that's getting national attention right now. The conditions at Detroit's Spain Elementary Middle School are so dilapidated that last month, its principal, Ronald Alexander, landed on the Ellen DeGeneres Show. The school received more than half a million dollars in donations. Of all the people in the whole world, I am the happiest principal on earth. Alexander is now facing federal charges, accused of pocketing approximately $23,000 in kickbacks. According to court documents, he's just one of 13 current and former principals that took part in a long-running scheme that involved a school vendor, Allstate Sales, owned by 74-year-old Norman Shy. U.S. Attorney Barbara McQuaid said Shy was at the heart of the case swindling the district out of nearly $3 million. The scheme worked like this. He would submit fraudulent invoices for school supplies. The principals would approve those invoices, and then he would provide some, but not all, of the goods. In exchange, prosecutors say the principals would receive cash, checks, and prepaid gift cards, totaling just under a million dollars. A case like this is a real punch in the gut for those who are trying to do the right thing. The charges come as Michigan's largest school district struggles with an operating deficit of more than $500 million. Just yesterday, Michigan Governor Rick Snyder approved nearly $49 million in emergency funding. There is a message today that it may seem easy to take a bribe, but I'll tell you what, it's also easy to get caught, and we will catch you and hold you accountable. Now, no court date has been set so far. CBS This Morning tried to contact all of the defendants in this case, and a lawyer for one of them said in a statement, it's important to remember these are only allegations and all the accused are to be presumed innocent. Let's not rush to judgment. Gail? Dean, thank you. All right. That, one of the reasons why I do not like public schooling, state education, is because... And Detroit's just one example. There are other cities. Other school public publicly funded or state funded educational systems. If public schools are basically school education muddied up by politics. 
<laughs> now, today's podcast, once again, is titled The Queen of Soul versus Queen Elizabeth. We're going to take a snapshot, a very small microscopic snapshot of uh, Aretha Franklin in, in the, here's the context. Aretha Franklin, Queen of Soul, and Queen Elizabeth, Queen of <clears throat> England. We're going to take a snapshot of these two ladies. Basically, when it comes to generational wealth, also known as, uh, you know, which, which, which is created through estate planning. Now, Queen Elizabeth was not educated in public schools. She had private tutors, private education. Whereas um, Aretha Franklin is a product of the Detroit public school system. Aretha Franklin left behind an $8 million estate. Now, Queen Elizabeth is a recipient of generational wealth. We're, we're going to go, matter of fact, we're going to go back in time and tell you how her estate got to where it is today. And what Aretha left behind with the $8 million because essentially, that eight million dollars could be basically her her four sons could be on their way to be become billionaires. But here's the flying ointment: Aretha Franklin left behind no will. So we're going to take a look at some fundamental distinctions. I mean, it can't be even because Queen Elizabeth, like I say, is a recipient of generational wealth through estate planning which anybody within the sound of my voice can take the exact same steps as the people did in her family. But number one, suggesting that my, if you got kids in public school, grandkids in public take them out. Queen Elizabeth was basically, to a very high degree, homeschooled. Anybody within the sound of my voice who's got kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, your, those children, I mean, now you got to go through their parents and all this other stuff. But essentially, I can't see any upside to public education, state-funded education. Granted, not all school systems are like Detroit's or Washington, D.C.'s or Kazigan other public school systems. I, I get that. All right. There are networking opportunities within a publicly funded platform. I get that. But well, maybe it's me. I'm just prejudiced. You can call it the way in on it. But Queen Elizabeth, that whole bloodline, homeschooled. So their money wasn't muddled up. Now, we're going to take a little quick two-minute musical interlude from Queen to Queen because last Friday, Queen Elizabeth had Buckingham Palace play Respect. And then we're going to go into and, and we're going to look at some fundamental things between the two, the, these two queens of soul when it comes to estate planning and generational wealth. And let's go to Buckingham Palace playing respect. 
Okay, so that was Queen Elizabeth. Uh, told you know, told uh, her whoever her assistant, sorry, in honor of uh, the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, and Buckingham Palace, uh, their band or whatever they call it. They they played that last Friday. Now, the, uh, now I mentioned that Queen Elizabeth was homeschooled. Okay, just like everybody within the sound of my voice who has kids at any age. Because I'm in school, I go on school online twice a week. <clears throat> Homeschool, so there are many ways you can do it now. But talking about basically, you know, basically one through twelve, uh, she was homeschooled. Aretha Franklin, product product of the public school, and <clears throat> that with an eight million dollar estate, and. The first order we played, we heard that, you know, there's some corruption in some school systems. <clears throat> Not all, but some. But even without the corruption, public school, state education is basically, state-sponsored education is school of politics. So <clears throat> if your parents or your community or people close to you do not participate in the political process of education, you get what you get and can get miseducated regardless of color of race. Now, let's take a look at another aspect because we're talking about estates. Aretha Franklin, $8 million estate, four children, and we'll throw the, she's got an executor in it, so I think one of her nieces. Now, we're going to take a look at part of this Queen Elizabeth, a recipient of basic estate planning that created the generational wealth that she has today. One aspect of it is uh, a piece of real estate that we all know, Buckingham Palace. Buckingham Palace serves as the residence of the royal family, but it also serves as you may as well call it a glorified home office. A lot of the education that they re- the orals receive coming up take place at home, Buckingham Palace. Now, it didn't start off with the name Buckingham Palace. We're going to go through the history of it. But first, uh, let's uh, just do this brief audio on Buckingham Palace. Hello, I am Ronnie Dower and this is my homework. This is Buckingham Palace. It was originally called Buckingham House and was built for the Duke of Buckingham in 1703 by William Wines. Hello, I'm the Duke of Buckingham and this is my house. Oh. Hello. I'm George the Third. I'd like to buy your house, please. I'll pay you twenty one thousand pounds. Hurrah! I'm going on holiday. <laughs> Hello, wife. Hello, how's 
bought a house for you. Oh. What do you say? Pardon me? No! The other one! Oh, thank you. I'm John Nash, the architect. Hello, Mr. Nash. Can you make my palace bigger? Of course. How much money have you got? The king went to Parliament to ask how much money he could have. Parliament gave him £150,000. I can give you £150,000. Great. I'll get to work in an hour. Toodaloo! He got to work within the hour. Over the next nine years, he doubled the palace's size. But then Mr. Nash ran out of money. Um, hello, Mr. King. Unfortunately, it's going to cost more money than we thought. It's going to cost half a million pounds. Uh, no, half a million pounds. Half a million pounds. You are mad. You're fired. Oh. Just after we find Mr. Nash, the king died. William, George's younger brother, became king. He wanted to make the palace even bigger and finish it off. So, he asked the architect, Edward Bloor. <laughs> can, can you finish off John Nash's book? I suppose so. I'll get to work in half an hour. I've finished. The king never lived in there and died in 1837. Queen Victoria and Prince Albert moved in. I love you, Victoria, but we have too many children and need more nurseries and more bedrooms. Isn't he handsome? Okay, who shall we get to do the building work? Get hold of that Edward Blur. He's great. Mm. Okay. Hello, Mr. Blur. Can you make it bigger? Um. Yes. I'll get to work in half an hour. Today, thanks to the work of William Wide, 
Okay, that was one of the kids' homework. All right, let me read. Um, we just found out about the, I mean, little Buckingham Palace. All right, Buckingham Palace once again is the primary residence of the Queen of England or the royal family. Primary residence. It also serves as they have offices there. So basically, she works from home. And they hold, you know, state functions there as well. And the royal family is homeschooled. Not even in it, because England does have public education, but they don't participate in it. I find that very interesting. Now, <clears throat> to get a better appreciation of, the, uh, of, because we're talking about Queen Elizabeth versus Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, we're just doing some comparison here. Uh, when it comes to estate planning, which creates generational wealth. So Aretha Franklin was educated by the, and obviously they didn't have any courses on estate planning and how to create generational wealth. Thus, that's the only explanation that I can think of of why you have an $8 million estate, four children, and no will, and the government automatically can step into probate, and they, they're going to get their cut. Queen Elizabeth, on the other hand, and the royal, royal families, as even before the creation of the United States, somebody in the family bloodline set up, because Buckingham Palace was originally called Buckingham House. What we see today is Buckingham Palace. That's just been like really expanded and all that. It didn't. What we see today wasn't how it originally started out. It wasn't a palace. It was called Buckingham Palace. I mean, house. They had to renovate it, expand. Well, you know, it's taken quite a while to get to where it is today. But it was done through estate planning. Now, the primary. <clears throat> And Warren Houston was in here the other day talking about trust, which everybody within the sound of my voice can set up a trust. You do not have to be a millionaire. You do not have to be well, what we call wealthy or rich. Just have a trust. Okay. King, whoever, whatsoever, when he said, here's the thing, you can look this up online. The main instrument that has built the generational wealth via estate planning is a trust of the royal family called the Crown Estate. You can look it up online. Crown Estate. Let me read something off of Wikipedia about it. The Crown Estate is a collection of lands and holdings in the United Kingdom uh, belonging to the British monarch as a corporation sold, making it the sovereign public estate, which is neither a government property nor part of the monarch's 
private estate. Buckingham Palace, which serves as the primary residence of the royal family, where they eat, sleep, shit, where they hold state functions, where they educate royals, where they have offices, Due to the rules and regulations of the crown estate, King Whoever way back when, because he was looking into the future, he set this up where no matter who gets married to who, what, when, or where, they can't sell it. Now, over the years, which has turned into centuries, this this trust just keeps on acquiring properties. The royal family, basically, I've said this on this podcast before, they're landlords. Anybody in the sound of my voice, you can start off with a room. Rent that out. Save your money up. All right, buy you a duplex. Rent that out. Save your money up. Buy a fourplex. Rent that out. Save your money up, you know, buy buy some acres of land. The Crown Estate owns buildings. It owns hectares of land, and hectares are bigger than acres. Hectares of land. So you can look it up online. They have maps of, you know, what they own or whatnot. But that's what grows the wealth. Now, the royal family, which is homeschooled, okay, the royal family, they learn how to maintain this wealth and how to sell up assets that can, you know, you know, you got to factor in inflation, you got to factor in taxes, you got to factor in ever increasing expenses into the future. They they get that kind of education coming up. Now, you can get that education right here in the United States. You can get it in Detroit, Michigan, you know, but you got to probably go to law school, paralegal school, something like that. You're not going to get it grades 1 through 8 or 1 through 12. Now, anybody within the sound of my voice, you can do the same thing. Set up your own little living trust, and it could be put something in there. You got a car put Title, in the, title that car in the name of the trust. You know the house you live in, title it up, put it in the name of the, that, that whatever you're going to call that trust, call it Crown Trust USA, Crown Chest, Crown, uh, Crown, I mean, Crown Estate, California, call it whatever you want. And part of the rules and regulations of the trust is nobody in the family They can be beneficiaries of the car. They can be beneficiaries of the house that you put in there, but they can't sell it. And then you got protections in there at the recorder, these or whatever, where they attempted to, because if you get some crackhead relative somewhere in the bloodline, because every family, including the royal family, we might not know their names, but every family's got fuck-ups. Every family. 
every family's got somebody who married somebody that they shouldn't have married. So the including the royal family. So the crown estate protects the primary family assets. Now, mind you, people, when this, when this particular royal family got started, it wasn't a million people. It it was a what can I do to keep? Or this is one individual. What can I do to keep the roof over my family's head for generations to come? You don't need a million people. You don't need a million man march or a million woman march. You don't have to say, I wish my people can come together. You don't have to do any of that shit. Start with you, person did. And then educate your kids. Look, if homeschooling has worked, for the royal family, then the other royal family too. I'm just talking about the royal family thing. If homeschooling has worked for these people, like I said, England has public schooling. They've been, they've had it. They've had it before the United States had it. Royal family won't put their kids in in, in state funded schooling in their own country, and they homeschool their kids. Hello. What should you be doing? Anyway, but it's a matter of choice. All right. So, that, like I said, anybody within the sound of my voice can do that. Now, hopefully with Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul, hopefully her family, her four sons, and hopefully there will not be any squibbling and squabbling because the government's or the state of Michigan is going to get their cut. They're going to get their cut. But that's why we're having this podcast, because if you model what the throne has done, and there's a gazillion other people besides the throne. I'm I'm just throwing this out there today because everybody knows about the royal family. Then you can set it up where 500 years from now, despite the – because every family has dysfunction. That's one of the interesting things about the creation story in Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had dysfunction. Then when they had their two sons, there was more dysfunction. Jesus, Joseph, and Mary, dysfunction. Mary's pregnant. Joseph's not, you know, it's not his. And he is from his wife, Mary. Uh, It's God's baby. Come on. Somebody used to do a, a play or, or, or a, a dramatic piece on that. What kind of argument that they had, nuclear argument that they had that night? Okay. But so every every family has dysfunction. Part of the system. It is, you know, we just got to, these are opportunities for individuals within the family to grow. That's how I look at it. So, that's what setting up a family trust does. It eliminates, it's not going to eliminate all the bullshit, but some of the fundamental stuff, like people stealing the properties, a family member losing the property, 
like I said, through all those years, you know, over in England, Queen Elizabeth, I, I don't know who they are, but like I said, they were F-ups. They were somebody who got drunk or who was an alcoholic. In modern times, it was some, somebody, you know, substance we don't know about it. But they exist. There was somebody that was probably, they set the whole thing up. Like I said, the crown of state handles certain fundamental properties because it's really a holding company, a real estate company. And then now they have a private estate as well. And some of that you can look up online as well. Some of the private stuff they can sell. But some of the fundamental stuff like Buckingham, it's a whole, it's, it's long, people. But the point I'm making is this. Model what the royal family has done. And don't get caught out here like Aretha Franklin's family. Million dollars. And I don't know how liquid that is, but eight million, well, you know what? Eight, eight million dollar state, that means basically if you sell off everything, you can probably net eight million, maybe. People criticize Donald Trump. Well, his father gave him a million dollars. You know, it, the same principle could work with Aretha Franklin's family. Break off. Let's say you got a million out of the eight million liquid. Break off two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars each for the four sons, and give another two thousand, a hundred thousand dollars to a niece who's an executor at this time. And then you set up, then you multiply, apply it into five different trusts. And then that can be leveraged into billions of dollars. So Aretha Franklin, Queen of Soul, in one generation, left behind eight an uh, $8 million estate. And see, that's what legacy is all about, is to give the next generation a head start on everybody else. It's not about black or white. We live in a dog-eat-dog world. That's just the nature of the business. So a legacy, even if you can leave, all you got to leave is a stamp behind, well, there's one postage stamp that your descendants won't have to get. There have to be about millions of dollars. It's about what you can leave behind so the next generation can have a head start and they won't have to start all over again. If Aretha Franklin's sons start to fight, they're going to probably have to end up starting all over again. Right, matter of fact, they're in limbo right now. The kids of mine, we went through this the other day and several other times on It's My House. The children of Martin Luther King, the three that are still living, They've taken each other to court, and it's 50 years after MLK is gone. Are you doing suing each other, spending court costs, spending money on lawyers 50 years after your father is gone? Well, Martin Luther King, great orator, but he didn't know shit about estate planning. But that's another podcast. In any event, when you get a chance, like I said, Warren Houston, contact him. He can he can get you into a living trust of your own. 
You do not have to be rich or have a million dollar net worth or even a fifty thousand dollar net worth. Look, just check with him. Anybody with some of us check with warning you should know about self radio, he can he can help you out. Um because we don't want to get caught out here like Aretha Franklin. She's got eight eight times what is necessary the ratchet that 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 wealth out to a billion dollars. Now mind you now, taking another page out of the royal family. It's in the rules and regulations for every generation. They have to learn about law. They have to learn about the fundamentals of estate planning, business, and the law. The same thing that they're learning via homeschooling is the exact same thing you're going to have to learn and the people that you want to leave your wealth to that they're going to have to learn. Aretha Franklin, one of her sons, I think he's like 63 right now. If he gets his cut, he's going to have to learn something. He's going to have to get online and learn something. He's going to have to watch some YouTube videos at least about law, estate planning, how to protect your wealth, and how to pass it on to his, you know, his next generation. So Aretha Franklin, like I said, she she left the um, she left eight million dollar estate behind. Very impressive. No, you know what? Even if let's say, and she just didn't leave a will behind. Okay, it just didn't happen. She was an artist, and artists got their own mindset. Hopefully, her four children and 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 that that niece executor. Hopefully they're on the same page and they they can break it down this way. Look, you go to law school or paralegal school minimum, okay? You learn about estate planning. The next person, we're up to three now, you take care of compliance. What what are the rules and regulations that are happening on a local level, state level, and federal level so we can stay in compliance and keep this wealth and multiply? Now, that really takes more than one person. But right now, the third person do it. Then you got, all right, the third person, you know what? We need to go out. Uh, you need to go out, and we need to multiply this. So you go out, and let's buy some land Some in the state of Michigan. Let's go buy some land in central Michigan or the, or the UP uh, where we can, you know, have uh, country estates or rural estates uh where the tax of the law and we can chill out or open up a Aretha Franklin band camp. And that'll be a source of income to take care of any expenses because they can make intellectual property based on their mother's name alone. The Aretha Franklin School, the Aretha Franklin Band Camp, the Aretha Franklin Music Conservatory. The fifth person, throwing in a niece, all right, there's a bunch of uh, property in Detroit that we can buy for like $500,000, $1,000, or $5,000 or less. Let's go out here and every month buy at least one house. Well, at least let's buy two houses, renovate one and rent it out so so 
our estates will have cash flow. We're not going to take any money out, any profits. We're going to set it aside. They got to have that kind of thinking. So they got the raw material that a reefer fragment worked hard and left behind. But now they've got to educate themselves. All I'm saying is with a legacy, with, with those five, with the youngins, get them educated so they won't have to be starting their education, their real education, 63 years later. And when you legacy plan like that, then racism, white supremacy, it doesn't happen for you. Political. Because a lot of the money, here's here's another chapter out of the, the royal family. When you read the history of the royal family and the crown estate and how all this wealth has been left intact, to accumulate all these centuries. King whoever, years ago, I mean, when he was living, I got to get the correct now, read it last night. He saw that the political landscape was changing. So he was looking at what what can I do to set things up to protect the assets and, and can't, you know, what I've worked for, and for, and for generations to come. Because, like, if you know anything about the Russian Revolution and Zara Nichols and his family, the service, the working man, they they were hungry. They were starving. They went to the royal palace in Russia. They killed the whole royal family. No mercy. We'll do a podcast on that one day. But anyway, so royal family gets involved in a lot of charitable organizations within the community, and not only in England and the entire you know uh, British uh, uh, United Kingdom but on a global scale. They give away a lot of the money that they receive. And then on top of that, they build a lot of social capital with their, uh, the, um, the World Order uh, night system, where they night you, serve, serve this, uh, serve Joe Average, Dame, Diana Rigg, uh, Duke of this, Earl of that, all that's building up social capital. They're sharing the wealth to keep their wealth. We need to get Peter Simpson on here. He can break that down. Because when you get to a certain level, and that's where the trust comes in at. To keep it, you got to give it away to keep it. But you can give it away and still control it. And that's another concept called access versus ownership. Warren can break that down, too. In any event, uh, that's just a little scope. Read up on, uh, and we'll go into detail in the future on this stuff. Um, On Buckingham Palace, the Crown Estates, uh, and then how we can take those same fundamental principles and apply it to our everyday. If you're listening to this podcast in the Salvation Army, or you you're sleeping in the cardboard box on the sidewalk, 
you can take this information, go to the library, and just start study, study, study. Look at the world family of England. Look at other world families. Look at wealthy families around the globe. And model what they do. And a lot of them, they protect that family wealth by setting up family businesses that are owned by the family trust. So before your great-grandkids are even born, or before your great-grandkids, great-grandkids are even conceived, they've got a roof over their head that is debt-free, and they've got a job. But mind you, you just can't give it to them. You've got to educate it on how to keep it. I think, personally, that's the hardest job. Anybody can buy a house. Got your down payment, got your closing cost money. You go to the settlement table, you buy it. But now, and then, you know, you're going to spend money on taxes and insurance and maintenance. But inflation, everything goes up year by year. What something costs today, 10 years from now, is going to be more expensive. 100 years from now is going to be dramatically more expensive. So if you want your bloodline to enjoy your wealth, you've got to educate them on how to keep it. That includes politics, volunteer work, social capital, law, I mean, it's and a lot of the stuff is not right now. State-sponsored education ain't doling it out because you got white people getting effed over in this country too because they don't know. Four oh seven, your mic is on. Uh, yeah, good morning, LA. Um, this is Viata with uh, Health and Wellness um, and Soul Purpose Healing. And I wanted to say this one's been one of the best classes you've had. Uh, it, this was so informative uh, about Buckingham House and all that. And um, I was just thinking about how they built such a sophisticated system. Well, not even sophisticated, just a, a strong system to accumulate wealth. And it just gives us so much uh, and so much um, knowledge to build on in our own community, in our own space. So thanks for this uh, really good show because I learned a lot and um, it just makes me think I need to call up Houston and get me a trust established soon. Uh, so um, that's the, the takeoff from this. So th- I just want to say thank well, you. Really you, good you know, show. Like, like I mentioned, thank you. Like I mentioned a few times already, the royal family, they're homeschooled. Now, it's just like yeah. you know, on different subjects. Now, it's just like with uh, what you were sharing with me once. I don't know if you shared it on your podcast, uh, Soul Purpose Healing, with your grand- uh, one of your grandchildren, because you, you know a whole lot about uh, health and wellness. So, for instance, if people would eat like you eat, how you eat like now, how you recommend your friends and family eat, you know, then you're preventing diabetes years in advance, as well as other problems, I mean, uh, other things. But are they teaching kids how to eat 
and nursery school. No, absolutely not. Free it started, and they not even nursery school. How they just daycare in general because they they feed in a mass right. of children and they get the cheapest food they can find and they throw it at your children and then you wonder why your right. children so, have behavioral problems. Exactly. So you're in a position to teach, which I'm sure you are already, to teach your grandchildren how to eat properly because they're not going to get it at a state-sponsored school. Yeah, and help, and you know, you know my, we I, can't I enjoy our money. Little, yeah. And yeah, sometimes ahead, grandparents, have, grandparents have very little influence over their grandchildren because the parents may not have the same knowledge or wisdom. So, you know, you just open your, your teaching to anybody ready and willing to change. It's all about changing, especially when you get sick and you're suffering and you're in pain. But I was going to also say, you know, we, we didn't have GPS back in the day when uh, Aretha started. I'm, I'm thinking when she, when she started in the 60s, she got popular in the 60s. So perfect. So you're breaking up. Been talking. I'm moving. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. Okay, so we've been talking on on Soul Purpose Healing about this new GPS global positioning system that we have now. And on one level, we look at this GPS as something that directs us when we're traveling in our cars and in our uh, our, our our buses or whatever. But then we we have to take it if we if we take it to the next level of spirituality or metaphysics. Your global positioning system is you, because if you do uh, fine-tune your body and you do these things that you're talking about, you know, establish a, a system for your, your children and your grandchildren, then there's a divine guidance for each of us. Whether we go into African-American history as a major, somebody said something yesterday on your show about what can you do with that. Uh, and I was going to say, you know, whatever we're doing, whether we're setting up uh, uh, something trust for our family or doing something different, we have to have a GPS that's in tune with the divine guidance that will give us exactly what we need to do to complete our assignment. Because death is a part of life, and some, sometime soon everybody's going to go. And we just want to have a GPS, a, a, a GPS, a global positioning system that is directing us to do exactly what we came here to do, and then we suffer less. So, Rita Franklin's children, I think, are going to take that inheritance and probably splurge it. That's what we do in the cases like this, unless the attorney or someone with some wisdom comes in and says, "Okay." Let's be wise about how we uh, spend this money. Uh, they're going to splurge it, and then they'll be poor again. So I hope that doesn't well, happen. You know, it's interesting that you use that word because last Friday at that uh, production that they had, it looked like a production, not a, a funeral to me. Uh, with And I'm not saying that she wasn't deserving of what was going on, you know, but they did some splurging. I mean, four outfit changes uh, from head to toe. Uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I was, hope the splurging yeah, was, stopped. I hope the splurging 
stopped last Friday. That's what I hope. That's that's tradition. That's what I mean. They they're still in that mindset. When somebody dies, you're supposed to take that to heart and, and learn lessons from that person. And I have a feeling only us observing from the outside learning lessons. The family is going like, ooh, look at all that money that she left us. And how many cars can I buy and how many uh, women and drugs and all that. So that's the way we are. But uh, I hope that cha- that this changes with her family. But typically that, yeah, that, like you said, her funeral was just a representation of so many traditions and deceptions that we have fallen into that I hope that we are learning lessons and not going repeating the same mistake. So that's what your show is all about. The money money that was um, spent for that, you know what, just on that, let's take the last day, the the day she got in tune, because it was like an eight or nine, or at least an eight-hour service or whatever. The money that was spent on that, could have set up five living trusts. Uh, could have set up scholarship funds for the, you know, her her grandchildren, or break, you know, relatives or whatever, and and funded that. Just just on one day, just just based on eight hours alone. But you know it. Hey, you know it. it well, <laughs> you know I learned anyway, that yeah, from every from. Her. I'm still learning lessons from her death, so I'm going to continue to learn lessons. And we're we're supposed to be evolving and getting better at, at this thing called life. But anyway, I want to promote my show for tomorrow, if it's okay with you. Okay. Okay, tomorrow I'm on uh, the Female Solution Health and Wellness with Beata, and we're going to be talking about narcissism. It's a deep, deep subject I found out, and people need to know not only what narcissists uh, characteristics are, but how to avoid being harmed by narcissists. Because a, a lot of people have been harmed by narcissists. They don't even realize that's what's happening. So we're going to really dive into that tomorrow at 7 a.m. Central Standard Time, 8 o'clock Eastern. And the number is 215, no, 515-605-9325. I think that's it. Female solution. Uh, dot com, uh, blog talk well, you know what, let com. me ask you something in advance of the show. I'm going to tie it into what we're talking about today, narcissism. Would you say that many narcissists have an entitlement attitude? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Here's where I'm going with that, and this is tying in to today what we're talking about, estate planning and generational wealth. Somewhere down the line in our families, there's going to be somebody that has an entitlement attitude due to their narcissism. And if we, this is why we have to educate the youngest and set it up where if a narcissistic person in our bloodline comes into access to that wealth that we started off for them in our legacy, then that wealth cannot be stolen or dissipated because many, I mean, and you got to educate because you don't want to give somebody in the case $8 million and they, they haven't been educated on how to manage it. And they might feel, you know what? I got $8 million. I am entitled to go out and buy me a hundred pink Cadillacs. Okay, we all know if you won that lottery, 
and got broke because they with that entitlement attitude. So anyway, I'm looking forward to tomorrow's podcast on on female solution um, on narcissism because that's another reason why you need to set up a trust. Yeah, and that's where you begin to, and that that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit. That's just part of what we're talking about. But the question to ask when you know someone is feeling entitled, that's the key is recognizing that a person is behaving in a way that they think they're entitled to this or that. And then when you wreck it, that's called consciousness. Because some people just react to people's behavior like, oh, what the hell do you mean, blah, blah, blah. And if you recognize that they're in this, quote, entitlement mode, then that's when you can protect yourself from their energy. Because if you're around a person who acts like that all the time, you're going to start feeling it. They're not because they're going to keep doing their, their insane behavior. But if you start recognizing what they're doing and how they're behaving, you're protecting yourself. And in some way, you may be able to help them wake the fuck up. Because a lot of narcissists will go to their grave as a, with dementia because that's a lot of what happens with people uh, with narcissism. If they don't get some help, they need therapy. Narcissists need therapy. So if they don't get help, their brain starts to turn into uh, like dementia. So it's all it's all a process and a system in the body. That's why GPS does not just refer to your car running to on a it tells you where to go or whatever. It's all about you, your body picking up the divine energy that is in the cosmos. So that's part of what we're going to talk about. But it'll be deep. it's a deep subject. Well, you're right. You know, because you know, and because we're talking about this generational wealth and estate planning. A lot of families lose the family wealth when somebody passes on, particularly there's no will or trust to left mind, because all you need, let's move back to Aretha Franklin's family, and this is just a hypothetical people, all you, there's the executor and her four sons. All you need is one of them to have a narcissistic or entitlement mindset. That's right. And this That's can right. go on for years. That's what happened with Martin Luther King's kids. Somebody's yep. got an entitlement attitude. Yep. And, you know, even when you think about Aretha Franklin's father, I have a strong feeling he could have had that tendency to be narcissistic. And narcissistic, for those listening, who it's that extreme selfishness that plays out in a variety of ways. But they're very manipulative. Yeah. Now that you've opened up Pandora's box. <laughs> So, so that, in my so opinion, then, what yeah, I've read about him, yeah, yeah, he was yeah, screwing yeah, yeah. people in the congregation. Exactly. So uh, I'm not saying he was or he wasn't, but there's – and then the children, like Aretha and her sisters, they put up with that behavior in a way that they keep reacting instead of responding to that person with a firm, you know, uh, position – they react to their behavior because they don't know why they're being the way that they don't reciprocate and all that. So uh, that that creates disease in uh, the person. The Aretha Franklin's disease could very well have been because she was in the, a relationship with a very narcissistic person. And what you tend to do with those people is keep reacting and react you in confusion. You don't understand why they behave, and there's a reason. I'm going to go into that tomorrow. There's a very important reason we need to be aware of why narcissists do what they do 
and then maybe we can have more compassion or at the least we can get the hell away from them. Because if you don't know how to handle them, they will take you down. They will take you down. Because it becomes a chronic stress situation. And Loretha's disease was a result of chronic stress. Now, she's a performer. She's got making money. But usually it has to do with the relationships that people are in that they don't feel comfortable with. They don't have peace. And so they react, react, react until they get some disease. And the other person's flying around doing their thing, being happy, being selfish. And you're like, all out of sorts. So we're going to bring some healing energy to that tomorrow morning because I've been studying it. I personally experienced it. So I know how I got out of it and how you can save yourself most importantly. Can't save other people all the time, but you can change yourself. All right. Well, again, it's all about solutions. Well, thank you, and we'll be looking forward to uh, tomorrow morning's podcast on Soul Purpose Healing that starts at 8 a.m. Eastern. No, that's female female solutions tomorrow. Female solutions. Yeah, that starts at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 a.m. Okay. Thank you. All right. Uh, Thank you. 410 area code. Your mic is open. Good morning, Brother L.A. How you doing? Good. Fine, fine. Good to hear you. Look, uh, I guess you notice. Uh, I want to start off by um, reciting something that an old man told me when I was on a very destructive path in life. He said, you, meaning who, I, who he was talking to, which was me, he says, in order to be successful in life, you must always learn from other people's and be ready to profit from other other folks' gain. And with that being said, uh, when Bobby Kennedy first uh, got into the Senate, he never said a word. And someone asked him, why wasn't he talking? And he said, when you talk, while other people are talking, you don't learn anything. And I just want to congratulate you for all that you have put forward this week, starting from Monday to now. And you notice I kept my mouth shut. I've been listening to you, but I kept my mouth shut because the thing is, um, I uh, listened to what you had to say Tuesday. And some of the things that were said, automatically I wanted to get in and say something about some of the remarks that was made, but I kept my mouth shut because the subject that you was on was something that I really need to learn more about. So I didn't say a word. And I'm not going to say a word about anything today except to congratulate you on what you put forward. But, you know, this trust thing, I just learned about it three years ago, or maybe four, when uh, another brother on Blog Talk named Yusuf L. on High Frequency Radio brought it forward. And I don't know when you learned about it, but look, I'm well up in age, and I didn't know anything about it. And the other incident that sparked my interest in it was O.J. Simpson, uh, the Goldmans, and the... uh, the Browns brought up a lot. I guess it was a 
a suit against him. I guess that was what it was. But if you notice, OJ never lost anything except his trophy and a couple of pictures or something like that because he had all of his stuff in a trust. And with that being said, a lot of black folks don't know much about wills. And there has to be a way to get this information out there, but I've learned quite a bit by keeping my mouth shut because I really wanted to say something to you, but I didn't. And uh, I just don't know how this thing is going to play out as far as trust is concerned because, look, I know that based on what you've been putting forward for the few, I guess, for the few months that I've been listening to you, you've been very well homeschooled. And the thing is, I've been homeschooled, too, to the point that everywhere I've been, I've been able to set up a business and make money doing it because of what I learned in the house of my parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was educated in public school. I don't know whether you were or not, but the thing is, I I didn't come out that bad. In fact, I've done pretty good. And I say this to say that, you know, sometimes we black folk, Threw the baby out with the bathwater. When I was when I was growing up, the white schools down south got all of the money. We got nothing. And with that being said, we made the best with what we had because we had dedicated teachers. So with this homeschooling thing, I I think we need to really put some thought to it and make sure that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And my thing is, and I'm going to get some pushback on it with the people that's listening, it's about time for we black folk, and excuse the expression because I know I'm on your show, we need to get off our ass and do what's best for our children. And that is stop being selfish, self-centered, and lazy, and put up a public school to deal with for our children and children's children so that they can come out of this mess that we're in properly equipped to all of the challenges that they're going to be facing as black people. And, you know, I always live by this, Brother L.A. First thing is self-preservation. Well, self-preservation don't mean a person personally. It means personally. It means family, community, and race, and to make sure that it continue, it has a continuum on to, from generation to generation. And survival of the fittest to make sure that one is properly equipped to maintain, protect, and if need be, defend with their lives, their principles, and their goals. And um, I just believe, Brother L.A., that... With this homeschooling stuff, black folks are going to have to get busy. You know about this knowledge. I'm just beginning to find out about it. You had a honorable uh, attorney on. Pleasant Stephen. Yeah, yeah, and Honorable Pleasant Stephen has always told us that everybody has to have a self-interest. That's what he said. Uh, I can't think of the principle that he used because... I use it all the time, but my thing is this. Um, instead of these black families, and I know I'm getting ready to uh, 
pump up my family at the next family reunion, whether we know about it or whether we don't know about it, instead of us having a banquet at night, a cookout the next day, you know, icebreak on Friday night, bang, uh, a picnic on Saturday, banquet Saturday night, and go to church on Sunday, we're going to have to have a talk about this trust. Because, like you said before, in order for us to be a viable people, we're going to have to know about estate planning and all this other stuff. And yep. if we're Christians, it's in the Bible. It says, a wise man lives riches for his children, children. Well, based on what I've heard all this week, that's what a trust is. And I'm going to end on this yep. note. Because sometimes we say things and we don't put a lot of thought to it. I know you did. When Aretha Franklin came along, she was more or less traveling through life learning as she went. Because black folks, when we come along, and I'm about the same age Aretha Franklin is, or a little younger, we were just trying to survive. We didn't know anything about money and, and what to do with money. We knew about making it and living and scratching out an uh, existence. Queen Elizabeth goes back, I guess, hundreds of generations. And yep, yep. look, we don't, and the thing is about Queen Elizabeth is she may not be as smart as Aretha Franklin as anybody else. But what she does have Probably. around her is a group of people, administrators, that does all of this thing for her. She was born with an administrator around her to advise her. You know what? I'm, and I'm glad you brought her. that up. I'm glad you brought that up, Beasley. I, now, I don't know neither one of these. I mean, yeah, I didn't know Aretha Franklin person. I don't know the Queen. But, but based on my life experiences and my little tiny microscopic uh, part of the universe, from my observation, I would say if I had to pick between those two, somebody to build a business, I would pick Aretha Franklin hands down because she got it from the rough, ground zero. Whereas, and that's that's a, that's a special type of thinking for skill set, and she managed to leap, leap, go to the next plane of existence with $8 million on the table. All right? Now, Queen Elizabeth has never had to use that type of thinking. She's a manager of an estate. But if you add, but if you if you strip her of all the royal assets and the royal income and say, look, you're in central London, here's a hundred pounds, go out and make it on your own. You gotta find yourself someplace to eat, drink, and sleep. Here's a hundred pounds, good luck. She might not be able to pull that off. She might up in this, be in the shovel. She might end up tricking. So and, I would and here's the other thing. Like Aretha Franklin because she's got a special skill set. Now her children are going to need to be educated on a skill set on how to keep what Aretha Franklin started off with. Now you take somebody like Donald Trump, his father – Donald Trump was educated within the family business. His father gave him a million, so he he sort of got, then he then he went on and he did hotels. 
His father was a residential, a single-family house builder. Trump went into luxury hotel. So he had to learn something from scratch, and I'm sure we went through the trial and errors on that. But, you know, it, it's um, yeah, it, it, they're two different skill sets. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I, would, pretty, I would say Aretha Franklin is probably, when she was living, probably on a business level, sharp, and, and you know what, on a people level too. Because Aretha being a black woman, particularly in the era that she was before she got famous and wealthy on her own, she had to put up, you know, with Master Charlie and discrimination and racism and all that. Queen Elizabeth basically grew up with a bunch of ass kisses. So I would say Aretha Franklin was more people smart than, Queen, matter of fact, the whole royal family put together. Well, with you saying that, yeah, with you saying that, Queen Elizabeth doesn't even have to manage the estate that was left to her. All she does is sign papers and listen to the administrators and the chief executives that do all of this for her. And I want to end on this note. I've always listened to wise counsel. I haven't always followed it. But one of my next-door neighbors when I was in Baltimore, he says, wealth is generated in three generations. He says the first generation takes all of the takes all of the shit, all of the heartaches, suffering and pain, and makes all of the mistakes in the building of the first generation. They leave it to the they train the second generation to build on what they have already created and most of the mistakes are already taken out of it and all they have to do is just build on what the first generation has done. And he says the second generation gives it over to the third generation, and all they have to do is manage it because all of the mistakes, slings and arrows, heartaches, and bullshit that the first generation went through has been eliminated through the first two generations. And basically that's what's, that's what's taking place here now. Queen Elizabeth, by the time it got to her, all she has to do is just listen to wise counsel, sign some damn papers, and let it rip. Everything else is taken care of for all of the machinery and everything is in place to make sure that she never loses anything. And the other very thing good is, point. very good point. And and now what Aretha Franklin's second generation has to do is make sure that they don't lose any more than they have already lost because they already have it. And let me correct you on something. It was eighty million dollars that she that Queen Elizabeth. I mean. Aretha uh, Franklin left not eight million, you know, eight thousand. So I stand with, corrected. I stand corrected. Thank you with that, Yeah, but with that case, we have a long ways to go because look, this information has been hidden from us. And like I said before, I just learned about this thing three or four years ago because all I ever heard about was wills, and white folks are well, rich white folk have known about this for generations, so we're at least 100 to 200 years behind times when it comes to estate planning and everything else because most of the time we never had an estate. And I, I was joking with a guy. I said, you know what? When black folks bury their dead, the, uh, the dead folks that they bury takes them in the whole weather because most of the time we got to borrow money to bury them or either go in debt to make sure we get them in the ground. So. All of a sudden, this new information to us 
is just coming forward. And unless someone is really listening to you or this brother that was on High Frequency Radio, UCFL, I don't think he comes on anymore, some of these other guys, trust is as far from us as the people as from the earth is from the moon. And I get off and let other people join in on this thing. But look, you notice Thank I kept you. my mouth shut. I'm glad you for the feedback this morning. It, it, it's uh matter of fact, well, on my mind. Aretha Franklin, she passed with an $80 million estate. I'm thinking also, what did she learn from her father? Because I'm sure, I mean, basically, if you got a business, you're a salesperson. A pastor's a salesperson, too. So I'm sure she learned something about the church business from her father. See, that's part of a legacy, too, from the intellectual property. My take on public schools, the concept of public ed, state-sponsored education in theory is fantastic. It's genius. Uh, even with, let's just pick on Detroit for a moment, even with the administrators who stole books, I mean, or book money or whatever, the platform of a central location where you can meet people in the community where you never would have met them anyplace else, that's still a very valuable tool. I think that's really, I think lunchtime is probably the most valuable thing going on in, in a public school setting because you can sit down and you can break bread with people that don't live in your neighborhood. They might be in your community, but they don't live in your neighborhood. Um, so I, I think that well, aspect of public schooling is it's still good, regardless well, of the academic. And we're all, when it comes to homeschooling, uh, Beasley, basically if you read the morning paper, talk to somebody on blog talk, homeschooling is anything that goes on, in my opinion, is the way I define it. Anything that goes on outside of a formal setting is homeschooling. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this, and look, you, you brought me back into the conversation. Well, you say public okay. school is the working of genius. Well, look. The, the, the concept of it now. Yeah. The well, let me give you this. Yeah. Let me give you this. The creators of public schools in America was ex-slaves that came out of slavery. And you can go to W.B. Du Bois' Economic Corporation to see that. And I know I'm going to get some pushback on that. But, you know, a lot of people don't want to give our people credit. But it was black ex-slaves, along with carpetbaggers, that set up the public school system that you see today. And you can go to W.B. Du Bois, Economic Cooperation of the Negro, that was written in 1907, where he documents this. And I'll say this, too. Um, that's why... We need to have our own schools, and we need to finance them. Because, look, the most important lessons that we learn is based on what we learn in the house. Yeah, I know homeschooling is all right, but when you have a fragmented people like we are today, you need to have a place where we gather, where we can network with one another and on a systematic basis we can distribute the right kind of knowledge that we need because we're behind in vocation. We're by, behind in STEMs, which is what? Science, technology, engineering, and math. 
And we right. are going to give that by being everybody in their own separate houses. So, you know, we we can debate this all we want to. But if we don't come together and we create a public school system that is financed by us that we create the curriculum in, we're going to be just as fragmented and just as messed up, you know, coursed up as we are now. And I'm going to get off and let you go, and you can give me all the feedback or pushback well, you want to give thank me. You the, the and thank you for the thank you on, uh, That's done. another valuable contribution we made with the public school system. I didn't know that. Uh, let's go to the next caller at uh, Area Code 314. Your mic is open. You know, uh, I heard your lady make mention about grandparents. <clears throat> and children don't listen to them. Well, there are dysfunctional families out there where children don't listen to their grandparents, and I admit, but uh, that's dysfunction. Grandparents carry more intergenerational wealth, if it's done right. That's a necessity for any family success. I mean, history has portrayed that all throughout the history of, of man, generation. And, and, and no, blacks did not start public schools. Uh, <clears throat> blacks was enticed to join public schools. And I can't think of the name of that organization that uh, enticed them by telling them, well, you pay taxes, so you might as well let your children come get, get involved in this. <clears throat> but uh, nobody's, you know, here's the thing. Nobody is saying that... If you if a parent wants to put their child in a public school, that's perfectly fine. But what we're saying and what I say is that those who don't want to be involved in that should be able to go elsewhere. And that's what they don't want. Those that want to keep all and I'm talking about blacks now. They want to keep all blacks in a corral condition together. For as if you know, you hear the old excuse that uh, if you allow a parent to take their kid out of this setting, what would happen to the kids that's left there? Well, hell, why should a parent have to sacrifice their child to that type of environment? I mean, that's crazy. If you want to have more kids in that environment, well, go have some more babies. But I am not going to sacrifice my child to that setting. And I don't care how it's funded. Hell, Barbara Sizemore School was African-centered in Chicago, funded by the public schools district. And it had to close because of academic reasoning. And you can name a, a ton of them that did the same thing. You had black schools that came under the auspices of charter school, where they had public funding that went to them. So for whatever reason, they had to close. Now, the Council of Black uh, uh, CB Schools, the Council of Black Institutions, which formed coming out of the Black Power Movement back in the 70s, they funded their own schools and built their own schools. But once that mother and father who tried to get that type of curriculum and educational in the public schools seeing that it was futeless. Once their kids attended CB schools, then once their kids' kids attended CB schools, then people started dropping out of them. 
One time they had about 80 of them across the country. Now they're down to about five or six across the country. And there are good examples, like the Marcus Garvey Academy. I talk about that all the time out there on 6th and Slauson Avenue in South Central L.A. So, uh, and if these public schools work like we assume that they do, why is it that your historical black colleges and universities are having such a terrible time? Why do you only have maybe five that have a graduation rate above 50%, not in four years, but six years? Why do you have something that's as low as 17% in the graduation rate? You know what 17% is? That means that out of 100 students that went into the ninth grade, or should I say their bachelor grade, their, their ninth, well, their freshman year, only 17 was around when it came time to graduate. So that's not very good. And, you know, another point, you're talking about people knowing how to do things with their money. Look at Annie Malone. Look what she done during the height of Jim Crow and segregation. It didn't stop her. Like you say, she didn't do no marching. Went out there begging and hooping and hollering. Look at A.G. Gaston. A.G. Gaston was worth close to $140 million when he died. He gave half of it to his employees. And we can go on and on and on and on. You know, so, no, we don't like to. Both, both those people you mentioned opened up their own schools, too. Absolutely, because A.G. Gaston needed secretaries. And the present <laughs> system of producing them was not working efficiently. So he opened up the Booker T. Washington Secretary School. And to go a step further, his wife, Winnie, a Minnie, sat out in front of a congressional committee and petitioned for funding for students that go to college, which evolved into what we have today, and that being student loans, student, student grants, and student aid. So, no, these people have done those things. See, here's the thing. You only hear one side of the story too often. I always complain about that. And the one side is always propagated by a few who belongs to organizations, and those organizations are trying to get membership, just like that have went on all throughout history. Uh, Nation of Islam tried to get members. From the cap, from the Christian sources, and it goes on and on and on. And people choose to do what it is that they want to. It's not uncanny that you got fifteen to seventeen million blacks in the South that belongs to the Southern Baptists who believe in a heaven. About seventy, eighty percent of them believe in a heaven. That's what those people want to do. If they wanted to do something else, they would do it. So that's what I'm saying. You only hear one side of the story. And too often, that's the negative side. Hate the white man, and so on, and so on, and so on. And uh, hey, coming out of Reconstruction, whites built 6,000. Who was it? Uh, what was that guy that built that organization that built 6,000 schools for blacks in the South? 
I can't think of the name. Uh, I mean, Ro- Ro- uh, Rosenthal. It, it was Rosewall. Rosewall. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. 6,000 schools. They didn't have to do that. Look, they did that. Brother L.A., let me say something uh, to Brother Pianchi here because you know what? Senator Monaghan said that, you know, you're entitled to your own opinion but not your own facts. When I said that black folks created the, what is known now as the public school system, I gave you a documented source. I didn't come with some bullshit right off the top of my head, okay? Now, he can go and he can look at what W.E.B. Du Bois wrote. W.E.B. Du Bois was there. He wasn't. So with this being the case, yes, later on, black people suckered into going ahead on and turning those schools over into uh, the public school uh, under, under government funding. But all he has to do is go and read what W.E.B. Du Bois said. And look, he doesn't have to believe W.E.B. Du Bois either. So with that being the case, let me say this. He turned right around, and he and he stepped on his own information. He's given sources where blacks have created uh, schools that have worked for them, and and like the Marcus Garvey School, and a couple of other schools like A. G. Gaskin School. What I said was, we need to finance our own schools. We need to go in and set up the curriculum where our children can be competitive. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody has a choice. But with this position that black folks are in now, the choice is very limited. We either come together as wise people or we perish as fools separately. So with that being the well, case, uh, all you have to do, well, let me say this. All you well, have to you do was on, you, you stepped back, and I got to get out of here, man. Go to the Economic Corporation Amongst the Negroes, written in 1907, to see what I said. So, that, I mean, that's up to well, you. But anyway, go yeah. ahead, repeat what you got. Well, well, let me tell you what my sources are. My sources is Carter G. Wilson, not the miseducation of the Negro, but the education of the Negro, which is an eloquent source of information. He wrote the book. Carter G. Wilson, The Education well, so of the Negro. So now, I mean, the thing is, all you have to do is read it and see which one said it. Yes, the black and not only that, that and was, was, uh, was funded by Negroes that was coming out of slavery and carpetbaggers. Now, here's the well, other you had, Yeah, you had, some ne- you had some Negroes that – you had some Negroes that started their own schools, but I'm saying that the public school system – that see, the public school system we have today was designed in order to make immigrants Americans. That's what it was designed That's for. That's not true. It was – it was to make immig- when whites created public schools. Public schools was that made. You got, can you imagine? Hang on for true. a second. Hang on for a second. Can you imagine a black yeah. person going into a white community, especially up north, telling them we're gonna create a, a public school for you? Are you kidding? It ain't gonna well, happen. It didn't the, happen. If you want to shortchange your people, that's on you, brother Pianchi. But uh, the thing is, I gave you a source. Now here's the other thing. When Rosewall financed those schools, and we have two right here where I live at, the deal was he would match whatever black folks accumulated to put those schools up. If you if you if you if you funded ten thousand dollars to put up that school, he'd match you. So it ain't the idea that he built schools. Our people had to come up with the amount of funding 
and then he matched them, and the black folks uh, provided the black teachers. So, you know, like I said before, you're entitled to your own opinion, but not your own facts. And look, I told you that Carter G, yeah, Carter G. Wilson wrote it, but after these blacks in the South had created that uh, wide network of schools, and all you got to do is go to that writing to see all the schools they created. What they was doing, and like you said before, they were enticed to let the state finance, and then that's where they lost control of those schools. So well, now, they should you know, well, and, 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 Yeah, I, I didn't say that they didn't build schools. I said who did build schools. And that organization <laughs> that he represented, I forget how many, I think it was like $75 million that they put up towards schools during that period of time. I'm not sure. I don't have any information here in front and of me. But it was about it. that much. But here's the point. Today, black kids in the United States of America is ranking in the bottom of every economic measurement, which is terrible. If it wasn't for Nigerians on the plant, if it wasn't for Nigerians on these elite colleges where Nigerian males make up 40% of the population, you wouldn't have none there whatsoever. And now they're starting to get to this point where they say that testing don't make a difference. We need to include people in order to achieve some type of diversity. I wouldn't go no place near that type of ideology, me, myself. Now, if people want to do that, that's perfectly fine. You can do it. But don't try to hold people, blacks, that don't want to do that in there under the pretension that these are our people. They, these people are their own people, their own family. They are not carved in stone, dedicated to no one ideology. And that's the way it exists. That's the reality. Anyway, I got to get going, L.A. Hey, brother, L.A., let me say this. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Brother, let me say this. You know what? That's our problem right there. Everybody's going his own way. And the thing is, is this. You know what? In order for black folks to move ahead, we're going to have to leave some people behind. And that's the case. You can't take everybody with you. And I think you said it one time before. You're going to have to come up with that core group that wants to move on. And I'm going to end on this note because I know you got to go too. Einstein said, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting the different results, that's called insanity. And what I just heard a few minutes ago is insanity. And you can relate that to my brother because we've talked like this before. But you relate that to him. If you see something ain't working and you want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results, then not only are we insane, we're fools. And I'll end on that note. Okay. Well, I know because we've and had I'd all like to comment when you can. Is my mic open? Hey, hold on, Viola. I know as far as the black townships that we've had, uh, like Professor Rhonda Ragsdale, she's been here a few times, with the black townships, particularly, let's say, Oklahoma. When blacks, you know, found, uh, you know, some acres of land, they pulled their money together to form their own black township. The first thing they did after land acquisition was start a school. They they funded themselves. Um, so well, 
brother, before you go to yeah, before you go to Sister Miata, I can send you the information. I'll text it to you because you know what? Oh yeah, when I say something, I want to make sure. I want to make sure that when I'm putting it out there, I'm not misleading people. But I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah, send it to me. But I I, I believe 100 percent what you're saying. See, and I'm I'm glad you brought it up because you, you, you know, one of the things I think you probably made during this podcast is a lot of times our people have created industries but have never given credit as being originators of it. One of them, just off the top of my head, the the state lottery systems that go on right now. That's to black folks started the numbers game. But then the government right. outlawed it, and then they took it for themselves as a revenue generator. That's right. That's happened to us. I don't know how many times. So, like I said, yes. with, I like to with, piggybacking on what you said. Okay, when they black towns in Oklahoma, the first thing that those former slaves did was they got they put money together and hired a teacher for this school. That's the first thing they did right off the bat as a community. Viata? Uh, yeah, I'm, it's really interesting listening to the brothers talking because they're both right. Um, and we survived our generation, the baby boomers. We survived public education. We are doing well if we are standing up. We're not in a hospital bed with oxygen on our face or with some disease. You know, we survived that education, but I think that was an old paradigm. You know, they have what's called Common Core now in the in a lot of public schools, and a lot of teachers are leaving their jobs because it's too confusing and it's it's uh, uh, it's miseducation again. But we are now rewriting history for black people because the books that they brought in to the public school system while we saying I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United being brainwashed for military purposes days are over we can't continue in that paradigm anymore so it's like these brothers are right there was a history we uh we survived we can't stay in survival mode anymore that doesn't work if you stay in survival mode you create all kind of dysfunctions, and that's what we have in our families and too often in our uh, communities. So they're, they're both right. I think now we just have to focus on reeducating our children, our grandchildren, because the public school system failed miserably in preparing us. They, they pushed well, us into what? college Even, education. Are, college education right. is one of the biggest problems now, pushing these kids. True. To go to everybody has to go to college. Who who thinks like that anymore? Nobody should be thinking that way anymore. You're right. Um, I, see, that's why I like blog talks and the internet for it, because you're able to, like, say, hear an idea in real time and act on that idea today in real time. Whereas in a public school system, or even a private school system, there's a bureaucracy there that you got to go through their channels. And if it gets to state funding, that you know, state-funded projects or whatever, including public schools, you know, it's you got, by the time, it, you know, it gets on the books and probably to the classroom, it can be 10 years later. That's right. You know, so, exactly. um, 
Yeah, the uh, yeah, I know when um, the black started these these, these towns. Because what I'm looking at is it was a practical education. They learned actually they were doing what the Amish are doing now. They they blacks were building their own towns because they had been doing it for white folks. I mean, we built those big houses, we, the yes. most cobblestone streets, the Capitol, the White House. We built all that. So some of these blacks, like say, the black they were teaching them. This is why I like Booker T. Washington, his philosophy. Because I mean, Tuskegee, they built that. That's right. They built that. They didn't have no class. The classroom was right. Here's an open field. The class is we got a building, and he, he tried all these other curriculums to that. So I think we got we we had to get back back to those basics. And like you said, we're going to have to fund that. But it in our more complex world today, some of us we might have to go to public schools or public institution. Because um, I went to a state funded university. But you know, that, LA, could be a black enterprise. Listen to what you guys had to say, and you learn that way too. Yeah, uh, how you were saying. But imagine LA if we had put if we put kindergartners out in the field and said we're going to build a doghouse today. So I bet you more than half of those kids would never go to a college because they would know how to build houses and they would need to go to college. That's yeah, true. or they would that go to exactly college, or college would be retooled. I think that concept of the, the university, the college, that needs to be retooled to something more practical. Because, like I said, you can take yeah. somebody in nursery school right now and say, "Look, we're going to do an, a, an assignment. We're going to build a doghouse or a dollhouse, yeah. different ones on yeah. different days, and then we're going to grow our lunch." And, and kids learn how to plant tomatoes and cabbages and all that. So we'll have a lot. They can stay. So I think I think what's and happening now with through this internet, we're going through a revolution. We just don't we just don't know the, what everybody's doing right now. That's the new exactly. paradigm, LA. That's the new paradigm is that we have to take kids out of the building and put them outside and show them all they can do with their brain. Right, right. Well, that's it for today, people. What's today? Thursday, man. This week's going by fast. On that note, we'll be back tomorrow. I don't know what we'll be talking about tomorrow, but uh, if you got any ideas, let me know. Have a good day.